some reason, I'm reminded of my wedding day today. Um, and let me tell you why. When I was a young man, we've, my wife and I have been married 32 years now. And uh, I can remember like yesterday when we were sitting in the church in southern Illinois. And uh, we were standing in the reception line after the wedding. And uh, people were coming through and congratulating us. And I was a brand new groom. And an older couple came through. And the wife came through first. And she said, young man, my husband and I have been married 65 years which was a little intimidating to me as a young groom who hadn't been married 65 minutes yet. <laughs> he, she said, my husband and I have been married 65 years. And she went on through the line, and her husband came through behind her, and he leaned into me and said, Oh, son, the first 50 are the hardest. <laughs> so church, only 40 more to go before it gets, before it gets easier. Only 40 more to go. In, in, in my role with the Illinois Baptist State Association, uh, believe it or not, I get to attend a fair number of church anniversaries. In January, I attended the 150th anniversary of a church in O'Fallon, Illinois. I've attended two different 175-year anniversaries of churches and one 195th anniversary of a church. They gave me a commemorative Frisbee at that church, uh, Pastor Shannon. <laughs> Uh, there are four Illinois Baptist churches that were in existence when Illinois became a state in 1818. Those churches were there before Illinois was a state. But last October, I was invited to speak at a church in western Kentucky that was my great-grandfather's church, celebrating their 204th anniversary, founded in 1812. And it was at that time that I found myself asking this question. What makes a church last? What makes a church last? And as I reflected on that question at that uh, church where my great-grandfather was buried in the cemetery beside it, and I read, because of my family's faithfulness, I read from the Bible that he owned when he attended that church, uh, as, I, as I came to that time and asked that question, what makes a church last, here's what I wrote down. The things that make a church large are not necessarily the things that make a church last. Lasting is about faithfulness. It's about the faithfulness of God to His people, and it's about the faithfulness of His people to God that makes a church last. And so I, if you received a program on the way in, I noticed that you have serm, a page for sermon notes. And if you want to remember something from this message today, I'd invite you to write down just a handful of things. The sermon scripture is from 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1, I'm going to read the first 14 verses. So if you're filling out notes, that's your text, 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14. And the sermon title is Borrowed from a song that I heard several years ago called Find Us Faithful. Find Us Faithful. Let me invite you to stand as we read 2 Timothy chapter 1 and the first 14 verses. This is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve 
as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Lord God. I pray that you would give us understanding and insight from your word today as we seek you and listen to you, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, would you be seated. Find us faithful. We are here today to celebrate God's faithfulness, but also to promise our faithfulness to him, not only for his sake and for his honor, but for the sake of those who come behind us. I was delighted to see when the dance team was up here, uh, the different heights and sizes and when that little boy came down and took his place in the dance team I, we all smiled as we think about the next generation of believing Christians who are coming behind us and several years ago Steve Green wrote in this song titled find us faithful he wrote these words oh may all who come behind us find us faithful may the fire of our devotion light their way may the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. What does it mean to be faithful in a way that lasts for years and decades and even generations? Well, in 2 Timothy 1, this is a letter from Paul, who was a multi-church missionary. I think of myself that way sometimes. I'm a multi-church missionary. I'm in a different church almost every Sunday. And so it's easy for me to think about the fact that we are seeking to grow the kingdom of God throughout this region, throughout Illinois, throughout our nation, throughout our world. But sometimes when we get down in the stuff of doing the same church every week, we sometimes forget the larger mission that we're part of. And so Paul wrote to his young uh, pastor, uh, mentee, Timothy, a local church pastor, and he talks about things like faithfulness and generations of lasting influence and endurance when things get difficult. You see, starting well as a, as a Christian or as a church 
is easier than finishing well. Have you discovered that yet? We heard our testimony uh, today from our brother who uh, had difficulty starting, but he learned to endure. I learned, by the way, a new theological term today, noisy Christian. <laughs> I didn't know what that was until today. I've got a better sense now of what that is today. I'm, I thought I was a medium Christian, but I'm a quiet Christian, I found out, uh, compared to some of what I've heard today. But uh, it's easier to, to start well than it is to finish well. And so look at this. I want to call this the, focus, the focal verse in, in, of this. It's the last verse I read to you, not the first one. But the last verse, verse 14, says this. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The New American Standard Bible says it this way. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Not just deposit, but the treasure. Uh, when I was, I was a PK, and when I grew up, our house was next door to the church, uh, Dr. Shannon. Would you like to live next door to the church? I don't blame you. Uh, we, our house was next door to the church. And so uh, we, were, we kind of lived, we were always available to the people in church. And, and on one particular Saturday, when I was a little boy, I was an organized little boy. I was just ready to work in an office, even though I was only about eight years old. And I had a little supply box that had all my favorite office supplies in it. It had, uh, and I, yes, I'm a geek, I guess, uh, uh, rubber bands and paper clips, and I had my baseball cards, all, all the things I would call, tre what an eight-year-old boy calls treasures. I had these in my treasure box, and my older brother, who was ornery, uh, knew that that was very important to me, and one day, just to make me mad, he grabbed my treasure box, this is a summer Sunday, or Saturday morning, he grabbed my treasure box and he went running out the big wooden front porch in our house and down the steps and out into the yard where I couldn't get to him, and just taunted me that he had stolen my treasure. And I was about eight, like I said, and I ran out on, this is a preacher's kid now, ran out onto that front porch, stopped on the edge of it, looked at him out in the yard, and at the top of my lungs yelled every swear word I had ever learned <laughs> in school as a whatever grade I was in. Just blah, 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 blah. They didn't even make sense. They weren't in the right order. They probably, it, it was just, I didn't know what they meant. I just, every foul, vile word I could think of I shouted out at him as he ran out into the yard. And I had forgotten that my dad was officiating a wedding uh, <laughs> that day. It hadn't started yet, but all of the wedding participants were out on the front lawn of the church listening to the preacher's kid yell every vile word at his brother that he could. All I remember about that event is my mom's hand over my mouth dragging me on my heels back into the house insisting that I tell her where I learned those terrible words. I was quick thinking, and I said, my brother taught them to me. <laughs> Paul says to young Timothy, guard the treasure that's been given you. Guard the treasure, and don't, don't let it be snatched away. And in the few minutes I have, I want to give you... Uh, now, certainly he's talking mainly about the treasure of the gospel and the Holy Spirit that's been entrusted to them. That's mainly what he's talking about. But I want to suggest to you that we find in these verses five different treasures that are worth guarding if we are going to be faithful as a church. 
if we're going to be faithful to God and, and, and want to expect his continued faithful to us. And let me give them to you fairly quickly. You can jot them down if you'd like to remember them. To stay faithful, number one, hold on to the treasure of God's word. The treasure of God's word. Uh, verse 13 says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, he says, guard the treasure of God's word that I have shared with you and that was shared with me. I was recently in Nashville for a presentation on a new version of the Bible called the Christian Standard Bible. And I learned that 88% of Americans own a Bible. There are 4.7 Bibles per household. Now you think about your household. I don't know about you, I have, a lot, I have more than 4.7 Bibles in my house. But with 88% of America owning a Bible and having an average of almost five Bibles in every household, only 37% of Americans read the Bible at least once a week. George Muller said, The vigor of our spiritual life will be in direct proportion to the place held by our Bible in our life and thoughts. The vigor of our spiritual life is dependent upon how much we regard the Bible. D.L. Moody said, The Bible will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from the Bible. It's as simple as that. Research shows that reading the Bible is the number one indicator for spiritual growth. And so let me say to this simple word of encouragement to you today as you celebrate your 10th anniversary, fall in love with your Bible again. Fall in love with your Bible again. Do you need to get a new Bible? Do you need 5.7 Bibles in your house to fall in love? Then go get a new Bible. Uh, do you need to join a new Bible study? Do you need to find a different time in your day to welcome God's Word into your life? Do whatever it takes to take this 10th anniversary as an, as an occasion to fall in love with your Bible again. The truth of God's Word, Timothy said, was a treasure. And then number two, if you're going to stay faithful to God and, and, and your church is going to endure, hold on to the treasure of your spiritual family. Your, your church family, the people that you're gathered with here today. Look at verses 1 to 4. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Paul calls Timothy his beloved child. They weren't related by blood, but they were part of a spiritual family. And he says, Timothy, you're my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul had the kind of relationship with Timothy in his spiritual family that was as close or closer as a father has with a son. He says, I remember what hurt you. I remember when you cried. He says, I remember when I was with you. He said, you are my beloved son. He said, when we gather together to, in, the, in this thing called the church, we have become family. We have become spiritual family. And if you are going to guard and stay faithful to God, you have to guard the fellowship, the, the family of your spiritual church family. And whether or not you grew up in a Christian family, and not everyone had the privilege of growing up in a Christian family, whether or not you grew up in a Christian family, the church gives you another kind of family. A spiritual family that loves you and that, and, that, and that helps you grow and that treats you unconditionally. And every growing Christian should either be a Paul to a Timothy or should be a Timothy who finds a Paul. We need to be a faith family because faithfulness is both taught and caught. Would you agree with that? And I don't know about you, but in my experience, it's about 20% taught and about 80% caught. 
Uh, you can learn from on yourself sitting alone with your Bible many truths from God's Word, but somehow it does not seep into your life until you live out God's Word in a faith family where you can see how uh, God's Word is lived out in the lives of others. And you might ask yourself, well, how does that happen? Well, it happens partly by studying God's Word, but it also means that in the, in, in the family of God, in the church of God, we look for other people like Paul who can be mentors in our life, who can be teachers, who can be examples. You ought to be able to look around this family of faith and say, if I could be more like her, I would be more like Jesus. If I could be more like him, I would be more like Jesus. And, and this, uh, this happens in a couple of ways. It happens through just obvious mentoring, but it also happens because sometimes God puts us in a faith family with people who are hard to love. Can I say that? People that are difficult to love. So, some of the way that God makes us more like Jesus, he puts us in with people that are sometimes just, just hard to look at. Do you, do you have anybody in your church family that's just hard for you? Don't look at them right now, okay? Don't, don't, don't look at them right now. They know, they know who they are. We know who we are. But God puts us together in a family because he wants us to work out our faith, not only with understanding, but with example and with practice. It's like learn, if you've ever taken chemistry. You can read a chemistry book and learn a certain amount about chemistry. But until you've blown up a beaker or two, you really haven't learned chemistry. It's in the lab of chemistry that you learn how things really work, and it's in the lab of living life together that we learn how to be the church. A faithful, lasting church should be, should be families that are becoming family. And this should be, uh, this is one of the treasures that we hold on to. So, so guard God's word in your life, but also guard the fellowship of your church family. And then number three, if you want to stay faithful for the long haul, hold on to your own faithful family. Number three, your own faithful family, not just your church family, but make your family a family of faith. Look at verse five. I am reminded of your sincere faith. And he says, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. To our shame, guys, there was not a faithful father to refer to, there was not a faithful grandfather to refer to, but there was a faithful mother to refer to, there was a faithful grandmother to refer to, and if you have faith in your family, hang on to it like a treasure. And if you are not, if you did not uh, come from a faithful family, let me encourage you with this word, you can start a faithful family. You can be a faithful family to others. When I went down to that church that celebrated 204 years recently, I took a picture of my mom beside the tombstone of her uh, parents and her great-grandparents. And I said, somehow, in, something happened in this little country church in western Kentucky, and it happened here for about 100 years, and then I got exported to Illinois for some reason to work with churches up here. But in that moment, I realized I am the man that I am because my mother and father were who they were, my grandparents were who they were, my great-grandparents were who they were. And whether you enjoy that kind of legacy or not, you can start that kind of legacy today. Let me put it this way. Investing faith in your family is worth everything that it costs. Investing faith in your family, not just here at church, but when you go home from church, investing faith in your family is worth everything that it costs. 
and it's one of the treasures that we hang on to. Let me give you a fourth treasure. To stay faithful for the long haul as a church, not only hang on to God's word, your church family, your faithful family, but verses 6 and 7 remind us, hold on to the treasure of your own spiritual growth. Your own spiritual growth. Verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now this is directed rather personally from Apostle Paul to young Timothy, so it really is speaking about his own calling and gift. I heard Dr. Shannon's calling as he talked to his brother on the beach referred to earlier. There was this moment when he knew I was called to do this. And, and certainly this is a personal word from Paul to Timothy about being called into ministry. Uh, but it also speaks to us uh, of the value of occasionally telling our pastor and our ministers and the leaders in our church uh, be encouraged. You can do this. Fan it into flame. Your spark is getting low. You ever, you ever sit around a campfire and watch it go down to just the embers and you blow a little on it and put a little fresh wood on it and all of a sudden you've got a flame again? That's the image he's using here. And he says, encourage your spiritual leaders uh, to, to nurture their spiritual growth. Your church can, uh, th there's an old phrase, uh, speed of the leader, speed of the pack. And that means that your church can only advance and only grow and only reach its potential to the degree that your leaders are reaching their potential. And so certainly there is a word from Paul to Timothy that should be a word to all of us to, to encourage our spiritual leaders. But just as this elder pastor Paul encourages his young son in the ministry to keep alive the gifting and power of his passion, it really speaks to every one of us in the church family to be reminded to rekindle or to keep alive our own spiritual lives. Uh, you can come to your family, and they can help you grow spiritually. You can come to church when you come to church, and they can help you grow spiritually. But ultimately, your own spiritual life is your responsibility. And it's, it's like our dancers showed us. It's, it's let my life be a house of prayer. Let, let, me not, let, let that not burn out. Let it not, let it not decay, Lord. Keep alive my life as your, as your house of prayer. Brad Wagner from Lifeway Research uh, did some research on activities that have the greatest impact on spiritual growth. If you're asking today, well, how can I grow spiritually? How, what would I do? I, I know I come to church. I know I, I, I try and follow the example of other people at church. But if I were going to take responsibility for my own spiritual life, what would I do? Well, his research gave five leading things that help people to grow spiritually. Uh, and they've, they've done the thousands and thousands of people, talked to thousands and thousands of Christians. And these this, is, this isn't rocket science, by the way. This won't surprise you. But the number one factor that impacts spiritual growth, number one, Bible reading. Bible reading is number one. 91% uh, said uh, of people that in, they were growing spiritually said it's because reading Bible. You know what number two is? Church attendance. Thank you for being here today. You've heard God's word today. You've uh, attended church today. You're two-fifths of the way there, uh, growing spiritually. But these are things we do personal. Number three, personal prayer life. Personal prayer life. Not just listening to others pray, not just kind of thinking spiritual thoughts, but having an active, vibrant, personal prayer life. Number four, they were be and this is one that you may not have in your life, not everyone does, being mentored by a mature believer. 
being mentored by a mature believer? Do you have someone else in your life who is a little bit further down the faith road than you who is helping you know the way to go? Being mentored by a mature believer number, was number four. And number five was participating in a small group or Sunday school, being part of a community of other people. Learning spiritual growth, growing spiritually, is always easier when you do it with other people. None of the things that are truly valuable in life are easy. Have you learned that yet? Uh, getting an education is not easy, but it's valuable. Learning a musical instrument is not easy, but it's valuable. Uh, losing weight or eating healthier is not easy. Can I get an amen? Uh, losing weight is not easy, but it's valuable. But all of those things like education or learning a musical instrument or, or getting healthier or eating, all those things are easier when you do them with other people who want those same things in their life. Just like that, growing spiritually is easier when you're doing it with other people who want to grow spiritually too. These are the things that we must hold on to like treasures if we're going to stay faithful, if we're going to grow spiritually. Um, and, and, a, and a true, growing, faithful church is one where our pastors are encouraged and our own spiritual lives are constantly cheered on and rekindled. So if we want our church and our own lives to stay faithful over the long haul, if we want to follow the kind of things that Paul's talking about in this chapter, we hold on to the truth of God's Word, fall in love with the Bible again. We treasure our church family. We cherish our own Christian family we are constantly rekindling our own spiritual growth. And then number five, and maybe most important, to stay faithful over the long haul, treasure the gospel that you received enough to share it with other people. Treasure the gospel, the good news about Jesus that we have celebrated already today in so many ways. Treasure the gospel that you have received so that you can share it with other people. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. I wonder if when Pastor Shannon had said to his brother Cecil today, would you get up and share your testimony? I wonder if he'd said, no, I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to get up in front of people. I'm not sure I'm confident in what Jesus has done in my life. He didn't, you didn't see that. You had him stand up and be a noisy Christian. And it encouraged us because he stood up to be a noisy Christian. He said, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. His testimony wasn't all flattering to him as a person. Amen? But he told it boldly, not because he was proud of the things in his past, but because he was proud of the work of God in his life. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. And, and down in verse 12, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says, young Timothy, if you want power to remain faithful, remember the gospel. Remind yourself of the big story, not the little story of the failures that you had yesterday, but the big story of God's grace in your life that he has been working a day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year. Remind yourself of that big story and tell that story to other people. Tell that story to other people. A faithful church can certainly be your spiritual family. It may even include some of your faithful family. But a faithful church that lasts is not just for you and your family. It is for people who don't know Jesus as Savior yet. A faithful church that lasts is a witnessing church. It is a gospel 
proclaiming church. When I was uh, uh, born, I was given an unusual middle name. It was, it's unusual because it's a family name. It was my great-great-great-great-great-grandmother's maiden name is my middle name. And I was always kind of embarrassed about it because I wanted a cool name like Bill or Bart or Biff or something like that, you know. I guess all the cool middle names begin with B, I don't know. But I, I, I'm, I was a little embarrassed, and, and it's because it not only is an unusual name, it, it has an unusual middle. My middle initial is Y, is the letter Y. And so a lot of times growing up, people would always uh, try and guess what it is. And I was always a little embarrassed about it. And so people, people would say, what's your middle initial? And I'd say, uh, it begins with Y. And they'd say, oh, is it? And they'd guess things like Yosemite. <laughs> you know, is it, or, or I, lately I get a lot of people guessing Yahoo. Uh, you know, as if my parents would name me Nate Yahoo Adams, you know. Uh, I had a lady one time guess uh, Johan, which begins with a J. Uh, but... <laughs> Never had anybody guess it because it's this silly, it's this family name. And I finally got out of school and started working just down the street here at Christianity Today several years ago. And I got a call when I was in my office from Tammy down in personnel. And I answered the phone. She said, Nate, this is Tammy down in personnel. What's your middle initial? And all this embarrassment kind of flooded back over my mind again. She said, what's your middle initial? And I said, why? And she said, well, because I'm filling some forms out. (laughs) And I need to know what your middle initial is. And I said, why? And she said, I don't know why they ask for middle initials <laughs> on this form. They just do. So what is it? And by that time, I'd figured it out, and I was just playing with her a little. And I, I third time, I said, why? And she said, look, when you get ready to tell me, you call me. <laughs> and she hung up. I went down to her desk, and, and Lori was walking by. And Tammy said, Lori, 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 come here, come here. I explained the whole thing to Tammy and told her about it, and she called Lori over. She said, ask Nate what his middle initial is. Lori said, I don't care what his middle initial is. <laughs> but she said, just ask him. And Lori said, Nate, what's your middle initial? And I said, why? And she said, because Tammy asked me to ask you. <laughs> I don't care. I went through the whole thing with her again, and we had a, a big laugh at it. Now, my middle initial, my middle initial is why. My middle name is Yarbrough. And I worked with a couple of guys in, in Atlanta named John Yarbrough and Tim Yarbrough who don't think it's a funny name at all. It's not a funny name. It's just kind of an unusual middle name. But do you know that until I had that experience with Tammy and Lori, uh, I, I hadn't found my way of talking about something that was kind of personal to me and kind of... And, and let me tell you, here's the point. Why do I tell you that story? Why? Because until, until I had that experience, I was like what a lot of Christians are like in sharing their faith. Deep down, their faith is very important to them. Maybe they even received it from their family or heard the gospel from generations prior. Deep down, it's very important to them, but they've never found their natural way of telling the story of what God has done in their life. Friends, the local church should be one of those places where you learn not only to receive the story of God and the gospel and salvation into your own life, but you challenge one another and you learn to share it with other people. So when you're in your Sunday school class or small group or when you're meeting with whoever you meet with to encourage you in your faith, ask one another, who have you told about Jesus lately? 
Who, who have you told the testimony of what's happened in your life? I know your testimony isn't, doesn't make you out to be a perfect person. That's exactly the point, is that your testimony is a clear window through which God's grace shows into the life of others. And so if you want to keep the treasure, if you want to have a church that's faithful, a faithful church cannot last long if it is not sharing the good news about Jesus with other people. And this is Paul's encouragement to young Timothy, a faithful church that lasts is a witnessing church. When was the last time you told someone the story of how Jesus saved you from your sin and gave you a new life? When was the last time you asked someone, do you mind if I take just a minute and tell you what God is doing in my life? We need to tell the story of God's goodness in our lives. Back to verse 14, Paul said, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. The primary treasure he's talking about is the gospel that lives in our life and the Holy Spirit that guards it there. But I think in this passage we find at least these five other treasures that all revolve around Jesus and give us the key to staying faithful over the years. The song I referred to at the start, Find Us Faithful, let me close by reading you one of the, or two of the verses from that. We're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road, and those who've gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race not only for the prize, but as those who's gone before us, let us leave to those behind us the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you for your faithfulness that has led us to 10 years of faithfulness here at People's Community Church. I pray, Lord, uh, that we would remain faithful to you as you have to us, that we would guard these treasures that Paul urged young Timothy to guard, and that as a result, we might have an opportunity to celebrate 100 or 150 or 200 years down the road. Not because we'll be here, but because we'll be among the faithful cheering those who come behind us. May this 10 years be the beginning of that legacy, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.